Uh, so I've got half a sermon here in 18 minutes. So you ready? Half a sermon. Somebody said amen. I don't like you at all. Not even a little bit. Not that. Okay, stop. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, it seemed appropriate uh, in light of today and in light of VBS and in light of all of these things that we just kind of put acts on pause. Um, and we talked for just a minute about kind of all of us working together uh, to fulfill the things that God has done. Let me say this from the get-go, okay? If you think that I'm about to take the Bible out and beat you with it... <laughs> You should volunteer for VB. That's not what this is about at all. Uh, in fact, I think our church on, um, on balance does incredibly well with jumping in. You are um, what is pictured up there. You're one gear um, in what God is doing here. And when you do your part, other things also happen. And so um, for us to live consequential kind of lives um, where we give our lives in service and to things that matter in the kingdom of God, uh, this is, this is uh, us, okay? And so when, when we talk today and when we study today, don't think this is about to come down on your head. Think instead, Peter actually says this twice in his letters, that he wants to stir us up by way of reminder. Anything ever settle in your lives every so often? And you've got to kind of stir it up. So in this way, um, today, we just want to be stirred up by way of reminder. And uh, in order to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11, 12, and 13. There's some uh, Bibles on the sides of the tech booth back there. If you uh, uh, need a Bible, please go get one. If you need to take it with you, that's our gift. If you just need to borrow it, that's fine too. And if you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event right now by linking off of our social media sites or by geography, and um, you can join in and follow along, okay? This is Ephesians 4, verse 11. Let's start there. And he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints um, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or to be a fully grown person, um, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may not be, uh, so, excuse me, so that we may no longer be children, grown up, not children, um, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Those are where we want to, those verses there, where we want to um, just spend a few minutes thinking together. I want to concentrate on three words today. They all begin with P. That was really an accident, okay? I promise that wasn't on purpose. Uh, but they do begin with P. Let's start with this one. Uh, let's talk about positions. You see that in verse 11. Um, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, okay? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and and you've got shepherd teachers or pastor teachers, and the way that that grammar works in the Greek, that actually kind of clumps together. So pastor teachers. And here's um, a couple of bullets under that. I just want you to think with me about that. Number one, that God builds the church on the apostles and the prophets. He gave these things, apostles and prophets, and he builds the church on them. Listen to me, church family. The church is not built on programs or personalities. Because if the church is built on programs or personalities, what happens when a program goes away? The church goes away. If a personality, if it's built on a personality of the pastor or the worship or the, some other, whatever, and that person goes away or that person falls away, what happens? You've got this crumbling effect, right? It's bad enough uh, when, when the ripples go forth and it, and it you know, is destructive enough, but when the church is built on it's really, really terrible. Jesus builds his church and he does so on the testimony and on the teaching of the, pros excuse me, the apostles and the prophets. Can we look back uh, just 
first uh, couple of chapters, chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's good news. We were far off and Jesus has brought us near. Verse 19, excuse me, 20, verse 20. Built, we are, built upon uh, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. God builds the church on the apostles and prophets. Where does the teaching and testimony of the apostles, where do we find that? Right here. We find it in our Bibles. So church family, I'm encouraging us, stirring us up by way of reminder. Let's be people who um, root our lives in this Bible right here. Let's be people who give our lives, who spend time with, and who um, uh, give ourselves to Hearing, listening, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating upon, and applying this scripture. God builds the church on this right here. And so here's the thing. Um, he has preserved for us their teaching, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets in the Bible. And because he's done that, what we can count on is that the foundation is absolutely 100% sure. It, God speaks to us from his word, and he speaks about all kinds of things, and we need to hear about all kinds of things. He understands about your Thursday, and he understands about your marriage, and he understands about your kids, and he understands about how your emotions, where they are, right? He understands all of that, and he has words to speak to you about all of that and we need to hear them and when we hear him what we need to do is trust him my wife and i built a house 15 years ago or so in waco uh, when we were living there and uh anybody else built a house and survived it with me okay great um it was fun for us. We were out at the site maybe two or three times a day. You know, that kind of how that went. When they went out and started digging dirt to pour the foundation, in my mind, construction idiot boy here, um, I just thought, they're going to scrape some dirt away, put up some frames, just throw down some concrete. We'll be off, right? This is not how a foundation gets poured. By the way, if they do pour your foundation that way, you may want to rethink living there, okay? I'm just, I've learned that since, much smarter now. But back then, I was an idiot. So they do the plumbing and electric, all, run all the things they need to run, and they get out there and they start moving the things that they need to move. We go out, and I'm looking at this before they pour a single pound of concrete, before a truck rolls up or anything. And there are, I mean, there's, you got the framing out, all that kind of stuff. And deep in the middle of all of this, in some checkerboard pattern, are these monsters wide, deep, deep furrows. And I, I'm like, well, we need extra beams. I'm like, extra beams it is then for the wind, right? I'm, I'm good with all of this. This is what I asked the builder. Why the extra beams? Well, we just want to make sure that the foundation really is good. What I knew after watching about a jillion concrete trucks dump concrete into it is that the foundation was good. There could come hell or high water, the house could be blown away in a tornado, or be burned to the ground. And I promise you this, the foundation was going to be there. Church family, there could come hell or high water, the thing may burn to the ground, an institution may go away, a 501c3 organization may die. Here's the deal, what we can be certain of is that the foundation will still be there. And that foundation is found in, rooted in his word. Secondly, if God builds the foundation on the apostles and the prophets, he builds the church with these last two things, the evangelists and the pastor teachers or the shepherd teachers. Um, the process being this, that the evangelist equips uh, he himself or she herself shares the gospel with people, spreads the good news far and wide, but also equips others to do the same. And people come to faith and they... Um, 
uh, uh, begin to follow Jesus, and then they are fed, um, cared for uh, by the pastor's teachers, by these shepherd teachers, by feeding them the scriptures. What do we um, know about this? That when we um, stand up, preach the Bible, not every sermon is filet mignon. Who's with me on that? Don't, don't amen. Don't, that would hurt my feelings. <laughs> Listen, I know that not every sermon, it, I, what we count on though, what we count on though, is that God continually feeds us from his word. And it's our, it's our the job of the leadership of the church, the description, if you will, of what he's given us to do is to make sure that there is good, nourishing, spiritual food out there. And why is that? Because then once you hear it, once, you, once God begins to build the church with these evangelists, these pastors, teachers, and we hear it, then the key for us is learning to apply it. Why? Because, please hear me, the, the primary organ of knowledge in the Christian life is not the head. It's your obedience. Meaning what? If I want to know that something is true and right and good in the Christian life, you know how I figure that out? I go try to do it. And then I learned that it's true and right and good. Jesus himself said this in John 7, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do my will, uh, let him go out and start doing this, and then he'll discover that my teaching is true. You want to know if something's right and good and true in the Christian life, if it's real. You go live that way. You go live that way. Because obedience is the primary organ of knowledge in the Christian life. And I say this in close this portion of it with this. Don't miss the first two words of each of those bullets. God builds a church on the apostles and the prophets, amen, and he builds a church with the evangelists and the teachers, yes and amen, but it is God who builds the church. We can count on him to do that. Second word, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. We talked about positions of leadership, but now let's talk about the people. Um, He says here, to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Who are the saints? Yeah, it's you. That's exactly right. Um, how does one become a saint? Well, you work really, really hard, and then you get a halo. And No, no, that's not it at all. According to the New Testament, saints are holy ones, people who have been made holy, not by their own effort, not by trying to clean something out of their own life, but instead by giving their life to Jesus and letting his holiness come in and invade their life and take over, letting his righteousness come in to their lives and take over their lives, letting his work on the cross count for their, uh, uh, their life. That's how that works. We, we get his stuff. That, that's the good news of Jesus. So back in chapter 2, uh, verse 8, look back with me. If you know any scriptures in Ephesians, this may be it right here. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this salvation is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You don't become a saint by figuring out how in the world you're going to work, 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 try to get there as hard as you can. No, no. You don't become a saint by jumping on some religious treadmill and wearing yourself out until you've just tongue hanging out, but you've gone absolutely nowhere. You become a saint by the grace of God through faith. That's how you become a saint. It is not of your own doing. It's a, it's a gift from God. 
There's no other way to be in right relationship with God. Some of you are here this morning and you think, oh, coming to church is going to make me right. No, 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 no. That's not, how, that's not how this works. You, by faith, put your trust in Jesus and his grace overwhelms you. His life comes into you and then you are made a saint. You are made a holy one of God. You can then stand before God because of Jesus. You can stand before the white hot fire of the holiness of God and not be consumed by it, but instead be embraced as a son or as a daughter. The saints are those who've been saved by Jesus. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. You have to receive it that way. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Well, but what about works? Aren't they important? Are they important? Yes, absolutely they're important. Okay? But we have to get them in the right order. We receive the grace of God and then we go out and work. We don't work in order to receive the grace of God. That's why verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2 come before verse 10. It's really important that we get the order right. Chapter, uh, excuse me, I keep saying chapter. Verses 8 and 9 talk about the grace of God that's experienced and in, comes into our lives through faith. And then in verse 10, once that happens, look at what happens. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Somebody, what's it say? Good works. Works are important. We're created for this in Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we don't work in order to gain the approval of Jesus. We have the approval of Jesus, and then he sends us out to work. The saints are the people who've been saved by him, and then those saved saints then go out and serve the world. They are sent out to serve the world. So back in Ephesians 4, where it says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. That's you and that's me. If we've received Jesus and put our trust in him, to equip the saints for what reason? For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It is a misconception to think that you don't have work to do, or, or excuse me, and it is a misconception to think this, oh, well, the pastors of the church are the ones who do all the work. It's common, but it's a misconception. Why is that? Because the pastors, the leadership in the church is given, verse 12, to equip the saints for ministry. So who does the ministry? The saints do. We are all sent out to serve. Why is it important that we not embrace pastors doing the work of ministry? And let me just say one more time, this is not me fussing. This is me saying, let's just remind ourselves of this. Why is it important? Uh, Because leadership within the church is called to equip people in ministry. And furthermore, you know people that I do not. Did you know that? Like, I mean, the, the common standard of measure these days is our Facebook friend lists, right? Like your people are not the same as my people. Am I right? That's not the common measure these days. That was a bad joke. Here's the deal. You know people I do not. You get into conversations that I do not. You see things, sites, places where you that I do not. You get to live in places that I do not. And you interact in ways that I do not. And the same is true for me. Same is true for Kyle, for, for everybody in here. So the work of ministry is given not just to a select few. The work of ministry is spread far and wide to you and to you and that people back there. And y'all over there, everybody gets in on this deal. Everybody. We are all. Every one of us. If we're a saint, then we are sent out to serve. We are equipped for the work of ministry by the leadership of the church for the building up of the body of Christ. There is ministry to be done. Last thing. To what end though? I mean, do we just... 
do ministry for ministry's sake? No. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood or to a full-grown person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I just say say this, that transformation of life is the only goal. When we go to work for ministry's sake, when we do the things, when we do VBS, we're not looking for numbers, we're not looking for outcomes. There's all that stuff transformation of life. That's the only goal. Folks, we're not here to build bigger churches or bigger um, uh, buildings. We're here to build bigger Christians. That's what we're after. Transformation of life is the only goal. What does that look like? Well, it's a person who believes, who thinks, who feels, who acts, um, who relates, who speaks, who who, uh, lives like Jesus lives, whose allegiance is to him, whose affection is centered on him, and whose actions appropriately follow. How in the world does that come to be? How does that happen? It happens when a person, a man or a woman, a child, knows Jesus. And they come to know him more and more and more so that he rubs off on them. That's what it says until um, we we grow up to this mature manhood. um, Or excuse me, I should back up. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We grow up by knowing Jesus. Now, here's the truth is that whenever that happens, because transformation is the only goal here that matters... Um, um, the second part of that is that uh, you can count on opposition coming. People will try to get us off track and any number of things will happen. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. Opposition will arise. And I want to close with this. I think the great challenge for us, I don't have to pastor everybody else's church. I get to pastor this one. But, and I think the great challenge for us, living in our culture, getting into the conversations where we are, um, being a part of the relationships where we are, sitting in the circles that we sit in, I think the great challenge for us as we move forward, even with opposition, winds blowing, hey, you need to move this way or you're going to be on the wrong side of history when it's all said and done. Uh, waves being tossed, hey, it's going to take you under if you're not careful. I think the great challenge for us It's to hold to a biblical clarity without losing compassion. And to hold to compassion tightly without losing biblical clarity. Church family, there are issues upon issues in our culture right now. Power, money, sexuality, gender, marriage. I mean, we, just, we could just run off. Just pick any hot topic you want to. And you know what the world needs? The world needs a church, our church, to stand up and say, hey, biblically, we are very clear on where this is and where this is not. Clear. But we see people breaking themselves on the rocks of their stupidity or their self-deception or their self-destruction. And we don't look at them and go, you idiots, what are you doing? What do we do? We approach them with compassion. We hold out our hand of compassion to them. And we know people, we know people who are broken. Anybody? Anybody know any broken people out there? And we look at their lives that just made an absolute hash of it. And we reach out with this kind of compassion and says, hey, listen, you're making decisions that I would never make and I would never wish for you, but I need you to know I am a person of compassion because Jesus has had compassion on me. And I'm not going to let go of that. And I'm going to hold to biblical clarity to say, and here is the best way to live in light of that.
Opposition will arise. We feel the winds blowing. We feel the waves rocking. But for us to hold on with one hand to this biblical clarity and to hold on with this other hand to compassion sounds a lot like Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's who we want to be. So we're going to take a moment to pray. Would you pray with me? And if you need to put some stuff down or close some things, you do so, that's fine. What I'm going to ask, we won't sing in response, but I do want to have a moment here where we sit before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to help us apply this, because obedience is the organ of knowledge. And so, Father, here we are before you, your people. God, what I'm asking in this moment, if there's a, if there's a place where any of us need to step out, speak truth in love, that we would do so with a kind of courage and clarity that, that is so helpful God, if there's, if there's a, um, a place in our lives, people in our lives, that we need, a relationship where we need to step in with this open hand of compassion to embrace them without surrendering the other, but we would do that. So God, I'm, I'm praying for us as a church, both of those. And church family, I would just ask you to take a moment. Ask God if there's something specifically for you. If he, were, if he said something today that's got your name on it. And then what you're supposed to do about that. So God of heaven, who brings the kingdom to earth, I pray that you would use us this week. Let us rise to the challenge of serving, whether it's a VBS or in our offices. Let's rise to the challenge of being people who are clear on what the Bible says and full of compassion for those who have broken themselves on lives. We commit that to you now. And Lord, give us courage. We're going to need it. And we ask that in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen and amen.